to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 14 and read down to verse 23. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Father, what a joy it is to sing of the incredible blessings that you have given to us through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, we have this promise that you will supply every need of ours according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, we already have everything in Jesus Christ. And yet you promise to give us more. And so we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, Lord. And we pray now that you may help us to to humbly sit under your word. Lord, teach us, instruct us, convict us. Father, and I pray that your spirit would be with us. And with me also, as I proclaim your word this morning, Lord, we entrust all these things to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We can think of many different ways of defining the word kindness. Think of different examples, just giving financially to someone, helping somebody in their time of need, helping them accomplish a task, perhaps. But I wonder if you've ever thought about kindness as a way of entering into someone's situation or predicament and helping them through it or helping them come out of it. Kind of a small example, just a few days ago, I was stranded at a gas station because my tire popped. Now, as I was trying to change the tires and put the spare on, I couldn't because the, the jack in my car couldn't bring up the car high enough to, for me to put in the spare tire in. And so I was Trying to fitting around with that, I called someone who eventually came uh, to help me in my time of need. But during that time, I had three individuals. I didn't know who they were. They just happened to be in the same time that I was there in the gas station. Who came by, offered to help, and all I needed was just a couple of inches, something to wedge in between the jack and the car. And nobody could find anything in their car. Nobody could find anything in the area. And yet, it was still an act of kindness because the intention was to kind of enter into my situation 
and help me out of that situation. And although it, it wasn't successful on their part, yet it was still an act of kindness. But as we've been kind of working through the letter of Paul to the Philippians, something I keep pointing us to is the fact that there's just so much warmth and fellowship and affection between the apostle and the church at Philippi. And one of the reasons is because they had given generously to the apostle Paul, and giving towards others just strengthens, strengthens our bonds with one another. And we really see things kind of coming back to full circle. He says that, yeah, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And if you go all the way back to chapter 1, he says on behalf of the church that you are partners with me, that you are partakers with me, both in my imprisonment and in the proclamation of the gospel. Now, what's interesting about that is that they're separated by distance. In my personal situation, had people come and tried to help me in my situation, I I saw them, we were not... There wasn't this distance that, that uh, prevented them from helping me out. But in this case, in the letter of Paul, where there's this distance, I mean, Paul is in prison. He writes this letter from prison, and the church of Philippi is in Philippi. And yet he says that they partnered with him in his imprisonment, partnered with him in the gospel. And this is a time, obviously, where there isn't email, there isn't phone calls, there isn't text message, there isn't Zoom. The only way to communicate was by word of mouth traveling from one location to another or the sending of letters. And yet they were still considered partners with the Apostle Paul in his situations. I came across a study recently, and I feel like you can conduct a study on just about anything. But there was a study that was conducted on the effects of kindness or specifically on giving on an individual. Like what benefits do you receive when you give or you are kind towards someone. And according to the research, the conclusion was that when you are kind to another person or you give to another person, whatever that giving might be, that it's, it produces uh, less stress, less anxiety, less depression. So in other words, the case is being made that you and I should be giving individuals or should be kind to others because it promotes better physical and mental health. Now, people can find many different, many different reasons for giving and being kind, right? Because you're compelled to, because it's the right thing to do, perhaps because you want to earn that person's favor, perhaps, or the favor of others. Some will try to be kind to others as an effort to earn the favor of God. But see, kind of the overarching thesis I see in the passage is that God gives into the hands of his saints in order to provide for the saints to the glory of God. So God provides into the hands of his people, not so that they can try to earn someone's favor, certainly not to earn God's favor. It is not to, because God wants you to have better or, or less stress and less anxiety in your life, not necessarily for those reasons, but God Primarily, according to this passage and others in the New Testament, God gives graciously into the hands of his people in order to provide for his people all to the glory of God. I don't think that's exclusive, right? We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to help others, even those outside of the household of God. Nevertheless, I think the primary reason that God graciously gives is so that we can help 
our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so to kind of explain this overarching thesis, I just have two points. One is the pursuit of giving, and one is the riches of glory in Christ. So, passage begins and says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So, in the beginning of the gospel, I think what Paul means here in the beginning, as he, when he first began to preach the gospel in Macedonia, when he was in need, and we don't know exactly what his needs were, but he was in some sort of need. And at that moment in time, there weren't any churches that partnered with him, and I don't think it was a malicious, I don't think it was a because of distrust, I think that there wasn't any opportunity. They didn't have the resources to be able to partner with Paul in that particular time to be able to help him in his needs. But the only church at that moment that helped him, that partnered with him, was this church in Philippi. So they shared in his trouble. Another way of thinking about it is that they fellowshiped with him in his trouble. We tend to think of fellowship as as sort of a context of being cordial, friendly, uh, when we are getting together, there's, there's smiles, there's laughter. Fellowship might be in the context of having a Bible study, praying together. This is a form of fellowship. Right after this service, we have a cookout as a, as a form of fellowship. But fellowship, there's all, it's also possible to have fellowship in suffering, fellowship in distress. And which is kind of odd because when we know that somebody's in distress, when somebody is perhaps going through a painful moment in their life, we want to kind of step back and give them some space, right? And that's appropriate for sure. But there are times when we actually need to make an effort and help walk into, kind of walk into that situation if they will allow us to. And in that sense, when we encourage others, when we help others in distress, it is a form of fellowship. Galatians 6.2 tells us, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. All these are forms of fellowship. There's a Christian writer who wrote an article two or three years ago about the sin of apathy. What he calls the sin of apathy is, say, when somebody who is um, in quicksand, drowning in quicksand, and so the sin of apathy is to jump into the quicksand with them and suffer with them. But then what aid are you giving in that kind of display of apathy? What, is that, what does it do? I mean, you're both just suffering together. And of course, I mean, it might be well-intentioned, like you love the person, you want to carry that person's burdens, but that's not what the passage is talking about. When we're sharing in each other's trouble, when we are fellowship with one another, when we're carrying each other's burdens, carrying each other's burdens is not me jumping into the trenches with you and, and drowning in quicksand. Carrying your burdens is for me to st- put a foot in the quicksand reach my hand out, and also have another hand by the branch and the tree and try to pull you out of the quicksand. That is what fellowship in trouble looks like. And this really speaks to the reality of needs. 
right? We all have different needs. Some are weightier than others, but we all have needs. There's never, there's never really, we don't spend a whole lot of time in our lives when we are not in need of something. Now, need, how you define need is kind of relative, right? Kind of depending on the person. Right? My children might say, I need candy. I'm like, oh, do you really need candy? Some of you are like that towards chocolate. I'm like, do you really need chocolate? But how would, I think, how would the scriptures define need? Here's a working definition of need. Inability, an inability to acquire something or accomplish a task without outside help. In other words, you're in a situation, you're in a time in your life when you have a particular need, and there is no way that you can get through it, there is no way you can accomplish this task or acquire this one thing without asking for outside help. That is what need looks like. And we all have those moments. Now, whether we have the humility to ask for somebody for help is a different story. But we all have experienced different moments in our lives when we have needs. And there are those particular needs that we cannot accomplish on our own without asking for somebody's help. And so we see that the church partnered with the apostle and providing four different things, helping him in his time of need. And if you know anything about the apostle Paul, this man suffered a lot. Persecuted on the account of the gospel of Jesus Christ in prison, in shipwrecks. And so there was a lot of seasons in his life where he could have used the aid of local churches. And we see that the church of Philippi was one of those churches that helped him in his time of need. And then we also read that his motives were very pure. It says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So what is he really after? What is this gift that he's really after? So he's not seeking the gift. He's not looking just to get something out of the church, just to get something. He's not looking for the church or others to supply or to provide for his selfish needs. But he's looking for something more. Now remember, if you were here last week, we talked about contentment and how Paul's secret is that he learned to be content in any and every situation. We talked about the fact that contentment is accepting one situation. I used to work at a staffing agency and help people to get jobs. And I would always have these moments where I get some, help somebody find a job, and a week or two later, they come back and they say that they quit. And they quit for trivial reasons. Well, I didn't like the guy. I didn't like the boss. I didn't like this person. The job was too far for me, even though I have a car. I'd rather have this job that is walking distance from my house. The problem is that they were discontent. But contentment is accepting one situation when you can't Control the situation. It's accepting it for what it is and leaving the things that you cannot control to God. 
So Paul had learned this contentment. He had learned to be content. He knew how to be in need, but he also, know, he also knew how to abound. It tells us he's not looking necessarily for the gifts that come from the church, but he's seeking something beyond that. He's ultimately looking for the fruit that is produced on account of their giving. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Kind of a wonderful parallel passage. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He, as God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So here in the passage, the fruit that comes... So the church in Corinth was called and had committed to collect resources and funds to give to churches who were in need. And Paul is calling on them to commit to their word. So then, what he says is that, that this kind of giving, that this kind of generosity will produce thanksgivings to God. That is the fruit that is produced when we give to others. It produces glory to God. But the intention and the hope, the desire is that if I help you in your time of need and you help me in my time of need, that you and I together will glorify God for his gracious provision through his saints. And this all comes from a confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is a promise. that God will be glorified, and that you also will be enriched in every way, the passage says. And I don't think that necessarily means physical material blessings. Many of you have heard of Dave Ramsey. Right? He's incredibly wise with finances and money. I think we could use more Christians like him who have this incredible wisdom with regards to the management of money and finances. And if you are familiar with him, he has this mantra that you... Live like nobody else so that you can live like nobody else. In other words, you, you forsake vacations and eating out and eat on rice and beans all the days of your life until you give every spare penny to paying off your debts so that later on when your debts are paid, well, then you can live like nobody else. That is somebody who is free from debt. And he would also say that so that you can also give like no one else. Right? And that's, it's wise Right, the Proverbs even say that the, the borrower is slave to the lender, right, one of his favorite verses as well. However, the only thing that I would disagree with is with the giving part. Because you see, people matter much more than debt. First John actually tells us that anybody who has this world's goods and sees their brother in need, and yet closes his heart towards him, how does the love of God abide in him? The answer is 
there is no love in that person. Of course, right, pay off your debts, right, that's important. But First John also makes it clear that part of what it means to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be a follower of Jesus Christ is that you love the brethren. And part of what it means to have the love of God abiding in your heart is that when you see somebody in need and you have the means or the resources or the time to help that person in need is that you go out of love to help that person in need and not close your heart up because perhaps you have something more important to do. Right, the promise in 2 Corinthians, the promise here in Philippians is that when we help one another, that you will be enriched in every way. That the promise isn't for those who close their hearts towards the needs of others. It's only for those who leave their hands open and their hearts open to help those in need. So then, so that we pursue giving, not to earn God's favor, not as an effort to earn the favor of anybody else, not necessarily because it makes us feel good about ourselves, though it, it can and it does, but primarily because we love one another. So in the passage continues, we pursue giving, and second, the riches of glory in Christ. The passage continues, and he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul here is kind of employing sort of like commercial language in the giving, receiving, well-supplied. He talks about their giving and that this kind of giving, is, it pleases God. And it came to us that there's a kind of giving that pleases God and there's a kind of giving that doesn't please God. Or if you read through, the scriptures teach us about the priesthood of believers, right, that those who are followers of Jesus Christ are considered to be priests in the household of God, separated by God, called unto God, to be ministers in his household, to intercede on behalf of others. And this passage speaks to the priesthood of believers in giving, that we are, that through our giving, through our helping of one another, that this is actually an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And this is, Really, Old Testament language. He's talking about pleasing and acceptance and sacrifice. We see this mainly in Exodus and Leviticus. And if you read through the Old Testament, if you know anything about God's people in the Old Testament, is that they came to a place in their history where they continued sort of to do the right things, continued to perform the rites, the rituals, the sacrifices. If there was a checklist, they would check off every single one of those things without exception, and yet God was not pleased. And the reason why he was not pleased is because their heart was in the wrong place. They were still in sin. They were still not taking care of the needs of others. They were worshiping other gods, worshiping other idols, 
They kept doing these right things, thinking that God will bless them and keep them and make his glorious face shine upon them. They can do, keep doing the right things. But he says to them over and over again that your heart is far removed. Your heart isn't in the right place. So no matter how well you give, no matter what you do, if your heart is not in the right place, then it is not pleasing to God. And the scriptures tell us that our good works are filthy rags to the Lord. And the reason why they're considered that way is because, is because there is no faith. Right? For anyone who seeks to do good to others in the world, to the Lord, it does not make a difference if they have not first accepted the gracious gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That God sent his son into the world. Not to drown in, in the quicksand of sin with us, but to pick us out of the, the quicksand of sin. God did not send his son into the world so that we may be crucified next to him, but God sent his son into the world so that we wouldn't be crucified and Christ would take our place. But anybody who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus and trusts their life to Jesus is spared of the judgment of God. And in Christ, they are rich. They receive mercy. They receive grace. They receive eternal life. Only then, only then does anything that we do matter in this world. Have to first accept the gracious gift of God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. The purpose of the sacrifices, the purpose of, of giving, of our helping one another is intended to be performed with the right heart. A heart that comes from love. One, a heart that's received love from the gospel of Jesus Christ and desires to display that love to others. Ananias and Sapphira, some of you are familiar with that story in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira sold a particular property. Let's say they sold it for $50,000. And they go to the church and they actually keep a part of the proceeds. They say they, pay, they, they keep half of it. They keep 25000 And they go to the church and they say, we sold this property for 25000 We want to give it all to the church. But they were caught in a lie by the apostle and by the Lord himself. The problem was not that they gave. The problem was that their heart was far removed from the Lord. And why did they lie in the first place? They lied probably because they wanted the recognition, the prestige that they thought that they would receive when word got out, wow, this, this couple gave, sold their property, and they gave all the proceeds to God's church. And that wasn't the case. The heart matters. Ephesians 5.2 tells us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why was this sacrifice a fragrant offering to the Lord, a sacrifice acceptable to God? Because Christ did it out of love. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. Hebrews 13, 16. 
Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The Roman tells us that our very lives are to be a sort of sacrifice unto the Lord, a living sacrifice to the Lord that is acceptable and pleasing to Him. And part of what that looks like, practically speaking, in the day-to-day, is not neglecting to do good. And what we see also in the passage is that when God's people give, God's grace abounds to them. Concludes, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, does that passage actually mean what it says it means? That God will actually supply every need of yours in glory in Christ Jesus. Is that actually what it means? Well, we've got to think about a couple things. First, what is the nature of this provision that this, that this promise makes? Is it of a spiritual nature or is it a material nature? I think that it is both. We saw earlier the passage in 2 Corinthians. Another one in 2 Corinthians 9. Specifically verse 8. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And this is a promise given to those who give cheerfully not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, but from the right heart. And the promise is that God's grace will abound to you so that you may be sufficient in any and every circumstance, so that you may abound in every good work. That is the promise. That is the way in which God provides. But the context of the passage also tells us that Paul also received a physical gift, a physical care package from the church, and in this way he saw the Lord's provision for his life. We also need to think about the word need. It says that God will supply every need of yours, not every want of yours. Why we tend to confuse those two words, need and want. We tend to define a lot of things as wants or a lot of things as needs when they're actually wants or desires. But God ultimately knows. God knows exactly what you need better than what you think you need. And the promise is that God will supply for every need of yours. And let's not forget contentment. Before this, Paul talks about the secret of being content in all circumstances, in all situations. There's a difference between being content and being satisfied. To be satisfied is to be full. It's It's the realization of one's task or one's goal. And contentment... Well, it's acceptance of one's situation, no matter what that situation is, especially when it's a situation you cannot control. It's learning to have peace and joy in the Lord, even if the situation is not what you would like it to be. So taking these things into consideration, 
I would say that when Paul says that God will provide for every need of yours, he means that God will provide all that you need in order to remain content and satisfied in Jesus Christ. Sometimes that is a physical blessing. Sometimes it's a spiritual blessing. Sometimes it's both. But ultimately, God is the one who determines exactly what you need. And he will give you what you need in order to remain content and satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, what's happening here, I think one way to think about it is every time we come to help another person, whether it's accomplishing a task, whether it's giving financially, whatever that case may be, whenever we help one another, it's like we're writing a check to the individual. And the promise, according to the Scriptures, is that God will pay it back. He determines when. He determines how He's going to pay it back. But the promise is that when you write out a check to somebody, when you're helping somebody in need, that God will pay it back. Now, this isn't some kind of Christian socialism right, where we're sort of distributing all our resources to everyone in need that we're giving up or we're selling all our proceeds and giving it all to one another. I don't think that's the idea here. The aim is generosity that is produced out of a heart filled with love, love of God and love of neighbor. And that what we're looking for is the fruits that's produced out of that giving. That is ultimately glory to God. Not glory to ourselves, but glory to God. We're looking for God to be glorified, for God to be thanked when we help one another in our time of need. But the promise of God's word is that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way that the Lord will provide for every need of yours. Not when you withhold from helping others. And one of the defining marks of a Christian who is content and satisfied in Christ is when they generously give their time, energies, resources to help those in need. Because when we do that, we show that we're actually not afraid of subtraction We're not afraid of losing things, whether it's time, our time, or energy, or resources, or whatever the case may be. We're not afraid of subtraction, but when it comes to giving, there is no subtraction in the Gospels. There's only addition and multiplication. The promise is that God will pay it back. As the Scriptures tell us, He who did not spare His own Son, but freely gave us His Son, how will he also not give us graciously all things? In Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. We have a Savior. We have mercy. We have grace. We have forgiveness of our sins. We have eternal life with God. And if we, who do not deserve such gifts, have received such precious gifts through believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how can we not also be gracious in giving of ourselves to others? 
So the gospel is the fuel that drives our giving towards one another. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, Lord, we are spoiled children because you have given us your son. Because you have given us innumerable blessings through your son. And if you have given us all these things, how can we not also be lavish with ourselves and give ourselves to others, especially those who are in need? Father, I pray that you may, that the gospel would just permeate our hearts so that we will always look to the interests of others so that we will be more aware of the needs around us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live lives that are sacrificial all unto your eternal glory. Thank you, Father, for giving us all things in Christ. And may our hearts always be filled with so much gratitude for all that we receive in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.